Well, here we are. We're, uh, we're past the halfway mark in our new series, which is now not a new series. It's an older series called uh, Cross Church Goes Fishing. And of course, um, uh, we understand when we talk about going fishing, we're not just talking about going for actual real fish. We're talking about fishing for... Say it again. The first service is way smarter than this group. I got to tell you, we're fishing for what? Oh, excellent, excellent. So, okay, so um, we are fishing for people, but I, I've been getting some interesting pictures here. Um, can we put that picture up there? That is uh, Vern and Liam. They've caught themselves, uh, I called it a goldfish in the first service, but actually it's a catfish. And uh, Vern, you threw it back, right? Yeah, that's good. I mean, who wants to eat that anyways? They just look at that. It's not, not good. And then last night, my sister-in-law sent me a picture of my sister who caught her very first fish. And I actually know my sister well, and I can't believe she's actually holding a fish. Uh, uh, and there's my brother. There are half of them. It's quite a bit there, but that's half of them there. And behind my sister is, uh, is, is her, her husband. But there they are. They got their fish. Hey, you know what? Fishing is fun. Um, I, I've had a taste of it. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I'm loving fishing because I don't do it on a regular basis, but I do find it interesting. In fact, I was doing a little bit of research, and I, I'm going to share something with you that might actually surprise our, 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 our real fishermen. Do you know that there is a website? It's called thescientificfisherman.com. For those of you who want to really catch a lot of fish and do it right and do it scientifically, there's a website that you can go to that will help you become a master fisherman. And so uh, there's an interesting article on that site that talks about the probability of you catching a fish. Actually, what it comes down to is just a lot of chance. Uh, they, they, so what they do on this website is they help you calculate the odds of actually catching a fish. And in fact, they've actually got um, different equations. Here's the equation, uh, which every fisherman should know, which I doubt any fisherman know. And uh, P equals probability. And then what they do is they, they, they tell you, you got a one in four chance. I wrote this down. A one in four chance that there'll be a fish present in the place where you cast your line. And then you got a one in five chance that uh, the fish will actually be hungry for the bait that you're using. And then you've got a one in two chance that the water will be clear enough for the fish to actually see your bait. And then you've got a one in three chance that you will be able to successfully hook and land the fish. Now, this is in a, in a best case scenario. So if the water's cloudy, then we're, we're increasing the chance of that fish uh, uh, being able to get your bait to one in 50. So what's, what's the, what, is this, what is the outcome of this equation? Well, in this case, it says one in 120. So what they're saying is you have to cast the line 120 times and you should be able to catch at least one fish in 120 casts. Have I lost everybody? You are still with me on this? Okay, look, you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't really, really matter. Uh, but um, hey, if you're a fisherman, you want to know that you're spending you know, $40,000 on a boat for a reason, uh, not for nothing. You want to know that you're spending, how much do you spend on a fishing rod? Uh, you can spend hundreds, uh, uh, the bait, the tackle, the, the getting to the destination. You want to know that it's not all for nothing, right? So this is why they come up with these calculations. Now, you say, Pastor Allen, what on earth has this got to do 
with us reaching people for Christ. Because Jesus did tell us this when he began his ministry. I've been saying this every single week. Jesus told us from now on you'll be fishing for people. That's the beginning of his ministry. And as you know, I say this every week, at the end of his ministry, he, he said exactly the same thing. He begins with it and he ends with it. And everything in between is how to do it. So Jesus shows us how to be fishers of men. Now, here's what you need to understand. When it comes to fishing for people, we don't use the calculations that that the scientificfisherman.com uses. Because they're talking in terms of odds. The odds are we'll catch a fish if we cast our line anywhere between 120 and 1,200 times. And maybe some of you are fishermen that chronically, are, it's at least 1,200 times before you catch anything. We're not talking about odds and chances now. What we're talking about is something very, very different. So while... Fishing for people is, in some ways, like fishing for fish. There is something very fundamentally different about fishing for people. And here's what you need to know. Fishing for people, winning people for Jesus, introducing people to Christ, is is not luck or chance. It's all about a miracle taking place. It's God intervening. It's God taking action. It's God stepping in and doing something miraculous. Important to understand that. And you'll see why in just a few moments. When you go fishing for people, folks, it doesn't depend on how brilliant we are, how articulate we are, how how much we've been trained in seminars. And and there's all kinds of books. I could tell you there are hundreds of books on how to, to go soul winning. It doesn't depend on your brilliance. It doesn't depend on on your education. It depends on simply this. You sharing what Jesus has done for you and then watching God by his spirit step in and do something miraculous. I want you to know today, I'm standing before you as a follower of Jesus Christ, not because... My pastor or the church I went to had a great strategy for fishing for people. I'm standing here as a miracle. The fact that I followed Jesus, that I became a Christian at eight years old, is an absolute miracle because my parents weren't, weren't going to church. We weren't following God at that time. And I look around here today, and I see a number of you who are following Jesus, who call yourselves Christians, and I want you to know today, you are here today not by chance, it's just, there's not some sort of a cosmic lottery where you won the lottery and became a Christian. You are a follower of Christ today because of a miracle of God's grace and God's mercy. Looking at, at my friend here, Shelly, I knew I, I, 20 years ago at least, and here she is now. And that, that's, that's from, when, well, more than 20 years, more than 20 years. And here she is sitting in the front row, part of our church, part of my family, my sister. And I can tell you, it's an absolute miracle. See, Hannah's sitting there. She's part of my small group. If you knew her story, and someday I hope you can hear it, it's an absolute miracle. 
I look at other places here today, and I think, to, I think to myself, man, God, you have done so many miracles. Hey, can I tell you something? The greatest miracle on this planet is not somebody being raised from the dead or somebody who grows a limb or somebody who's healed. It's, it's somebody who becomes a Christian. Because God declares in Genesis chapter 3 or Genesis chapter 2 that everybody who does not obey God, everybody who does not follow God will die spiritually. And so we see in those who become Christians, we see in the miracle of a spiritual rebirth or new birth. We call it being born again. There's different names that we use for becoming a Christian. We say, sometimes we say that person's converted, that person's saved, that person's born again, that person uh, has surrendered their life to Jesus. When we were kids, we talked about inviting Jesus into our heart. How many of you remember that one? You invited Jesus into your heart. Essentially, what we're saying is that you have become a Christian. You have become a follower of Jesus Christ. And everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ does what Jesus tells us to do. So once you've experienced the miracle of new birth as a Christian, then what happens is that you begin to obey him and do what he says. And what he tells us to do right off the start is he tells us to go and be fishers of people. Now, I know what you're wondering. You're wondering here today, well, if, if it's a miracle... If people become Christians by, the, by a miraculous act of God, what does God need me for? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to answer it now. But before I do, I want to point out to you the miracle of conversion. I want you to understand this. And to understand this, what I'm going to do, is I'm going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, in case you don't know who he is, the Apostle Paul, before he's the Apostle Paul, is simply Saul of Tarsus. That's what his... That's how he first appears in scripture, Saul of Tarsus. This guy is a brilliant man. This, he is trained in the school of Hillel, uh, which means that he is trained not just in scripture, but he understands the philosophies. He's read the Greek scholars. He, he has read widely. This guy is actually a, a, a citizen of Rome, a Roman citizen. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, then you're in a completely different category than anybody else. Because now, as a citizen of Rome, you've got amazing uh, rights and privileges that other people don't have. This guy is, is Jewish, so he is also a citizen of, of Israel by virtue of the fact that he's Jewish. He is a, a Pharisee, so that means he's part of the ruling class. This guy has got everything. He's brilliant, he's smart. Uh, in fact, he says that of himself. He said, you're not going to find anybody more spiritual than me. How is that for modesty? Now, this guy, because, because of his brilliance and because of his zeal for the Jewish religion, he makes it his cause to go out and kill everybody who's a Christian or at least arrest them and put them in chains. And so we see him in, in the book of Acts, right, right off the bat, the apostles have just appointed leaders of the church. We call them elders or deacons. And there's, the Bible records, Saul overlooking the stoning of Stephen. Because Stephen is a follower of Jesus Christ, refuses to renounce his faith. Remember, Stephen is born again. 
He's experienced the miracle of new birth. There's no way on earth that Stephen is going to turn his back on God, no matter what they do to him. Stone me, kill me, crucify me. I'm not turning my back on Jesus. Folks, only somebody who is truly converted, who's experienced the miracle of new birth, can say that. I'm not turning my back on God. Do whatever you want to me. I belong to Jesus. Can you say that today? And here's the Apostle Paul. Before he's the Apostle Paul, he's just Saul of Tarsus. He's watching all this. Got that done. Saul says, now I'm going to the leaders, and I'm going to ask for permission and a letter uh, of, of recommendation and of authority. I'm going to Damascus, and I'm going to destroy the church, the, the gathering of Christians in Damascus. We're going to wipe them off the earth. He's on his way. Now, listen to this. This is amazing. I'm reading from Acts chapter 9. And here's what it says. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, isn't that interesting? He's calling this a mission. When we talk about missions, we talk about going doing Jesus' work. But he's going to kill Christians, and he's calling it his mission. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone down around him, and he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul! Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul replied. And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Hey, does this sound like a miracle so far? The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So he, his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. By the way, believer is another name for a Christian. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. To get the picture, God's calling out to Saul. Saul. And now God's calling out to Ananias. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street. It was the name of the street that Judas lived on. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So God's giving Saul, or Paul, a vision of this man by the name of Ananias. God's giving a vision to Saul and giving a vision to Ananias. Does this sound miraculous to you? But the Lord exclaimed, but the Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's killing people. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, hey, don't you love it when God, when it's, when, but the Lord says, don't you love that? When God steps in and he says, I don't really want to hear your excuses. I know all the reasons and the excuses why you don't want to do what I'm telling you to do, but you want to do it. Go for Saul is my chosen instrument Take my message, to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. 
and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight. Now be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Folks, the miracle of this conversion, we see God appearing to Ananias, God's appearing to, to Saul, God, God blinds Saul, God gives Saul back his sight. Here, I want to tell you something, folks. Every single conversion, every single person who comes to Christ, puts their faith in Jesus, experiences the miracle of conversion. Not, not as dramatic as that, although some people here today have had very dramatic conversions. Moving from unbelief to the place where you believe in Jesus and you trust him. We're talking about a huge miracle taking place here. Saul, who was killing Christians, now believes in Jesus, now is filled with the Holy Spirit, now is saying, my faith is in Christ alone. When you and I are in the business of leading people to Christ and fishing for people and introducing people to Jesus, we have this idea, this notion, that it's my job to make people saved. I want you to know today, that's not your job. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to simply go and tell people what Jesus has done for you. The best way I can describe it is that, like this. You are that, that bright light on the Damascus road. Jesus appeared and spoke to Saul through that, remember that blinding light that actually knocked him onto the ground? I don't know of anybody that's had an experience like that other than, than Saul. But I can tell you this. You are that light wherever you go, to your neighbor, to the people in your family, to your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your boss, your employees. For, for most people, the only glimpse that they're ever going to get of Jesus is you. They're looking to you. They're listening to you. Because you have told people that you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. And now they're watching and looking for Jesus in your life. My question to you now is this. If people are looking for Jesus in your life, will they find him? Will they see Jesus? Will they see enough of Jesus that they'll be able to respond and say, I want Jesus to be my savior too? This is what it means to be a fisher of men, fishing for people. You represent Christ. You are his ambassador wherever you work, wherever you go, whatever you do. Will people see Jesus in your life? Or will they see a hypocrisy? Will they see something false? See, that's the problem so often. We go around, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And all the people we work with say, <laughs> he's a Christian. What a hypocrite. Hey, look it. None of us is perfect. I know that. But what I do know is that Jesus calls us to be a witness, a testimony, an example to a broken and hurting world. People want to know that there is a better way. 
And it's your job and mine to demonstrate to them in the way that we live, the way we speak, the way we act. You say, Pastor Allen, is that really the way it's supposed to go? Absolutely. This is why the Apostle Peter tells us that, we, that Jesus has set for us an example, that we should follow in his steps. We've got to be like Jesus. You are the hands and the feet of Christ wherever you go. Will people see enough of Jesus in your life to make a difference? Paul's conversion is a miracle. And everybody here who follows Christ, your, your conversion is a miracle. Now, look, here's the thing. We know that Paul or Saul was truly converted because as soon as Ananias laid hands on him and prayed for him and he received the Holy Spirit, here's what happened. Acts 9, 19b to 20, it says that Paul stayed with the believers in Damascus. Paul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. Folks, that's how we know a person is converted because the very first thing that you wanna do is you want to be a witness. You wanna tell people about Jesus. Now, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you invited somebody to church to hear about Jesus? Hey, look, I know not everybody here is, is, is able to, to, to share their faith. They maybe don't feel comfortable. But I'm going to tell you, it begins by doing what the apostle Andrew did. What did Andrew do? He went to Peter and says, Peter, you've got to come and meet Jesus. I can't explain it all to you, but I do know this, that my life was changed ever since I heard Jesus. Now I want you to come and experience Jesus. And so Peter listened to Andrew, came to Andrew, and the next, uh, uh, came with Andrew to Jesus, and the next thing you know, the apostle Peter is converted. He becomes a Christian. And by the way, you remember Peter, because on, in Acts chapter 2, he is the one that stood up to preach, and 3,000 people became Christians that day. You may not feel comfortable. You may find it very difficult to tell people your testimony. But I can tell you, it begins by simply inviting a neighbor to church. By simply driving a young person that needs a ride to church. Matthew, how far do you you have to come to come to church every Sunday? From St. Boniface. Every Friday night, he gets on, I know, you walk. You walk, you still walking from St. Boniface? A big chunk of the way, he's walking to church on Friday night to get to youth ministry. And I'm just absolutely thrilled to see him sitting here in the front row today. He hasn't got parents driving him to church. He's got anybody bringing him to church. He's here because, well, I'm guessing because he likes coming here. There's something here, something special. How many people are just waiting for you to knock on their door, ring their doorbell, send them an email? Hey, join me for church. I'll take you out I'll take you out for dinner after. I'll take you to Wendy's if I'm cheap. <laughs> I'll take you to Tony Roma's. This is what it means to be a fisher of men. Hey, our job is to partner with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does his part, but you and I have to do our part. It's one of the things I appreciated so much about my mom. 
when I first, when our family first started going to church, my mom was, she's getting a bus, she's getting her bus driver's license, she's doing everything she can because she wanted to get kids to church, get as many kids to church as she could. And to this day, after, you know, 40 years later, still kids are calling her, calling Auntie, Auntie Diane, because she was the one that felt the passion and the fire to get kids to church. What are you doing? You can't just say I'm doing nothing because if you're doing nothing, then you're not doing what Jesus asked you to do. He asked you to get people to church. He asked you to introduce people to your Jesus. But some of us, we're so caught up in our career, we're got our hobbies and our passions and you forget that as a follower of Jesus Christ, your job is to respond to the master whose passion is the lost. In fact, that's why Jesus left the heavenly realm. He left the side of his father. He came to this earth because of a lost and broken and hurting humanity. How can you say that you have a love for Jesus if you don't love what Jesus loves? And who does Jesus love? He loves the broken and the hurting and the lost, the sick. Soon as Paul becomes a Christian, he's out there preaching the gospel about Jesus. Jesus saved me. Look, he hasn't been to Bible school yet. Paul, what are you doing? Sit down, be quiet. You shouldn't be doing this yet. You haven't been trained yet. Hey, he experienced conversion, the connection of Jesus Christ in his life. He's a follower of God. He's, he's got everything he needs. He's ready to tell people about Jesus. What's, what's going on in your life? Say, Pastor Allen, tell me, what, what do I need to do? Well, I, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you that Jesus can tell you what to do. Listen to this. Just a few verses from Matthew chapter 6, verses 35 to 38. Three verses. Four verses. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. That's what Jesus is doing. What are you doing? And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Jesus tells us really quickly what we must do. And the very first thing you need to do is you need to have a heart of compassion. What moves, what moves your heart? You know that word compassion is a Greek word. It's like needs am I. When, when, when it talks about Jesus being moved with compassion, he's moved in his very bowels. It's, that's what, that's what splagnitamai means. It means, it means it's, a, it's the bowels. It's the, you're so moved, you're physically affected. That's how Jesus feels about those who are lost and broken and hurting. Look at that verse there, Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
People say to me, Pastor Alan, I'm a Christian and I believe we've got to reach the lost and the hurting and the broken and we have to be kind. But my question is, what are you doing? Giving an offering to help make that possible is the start. But what are you doing? Do you really care about your neighbors? Do you really care about your children? The starting place is that you need to have some compassion. You need to actually care about these. We have to actually love them. You have to be moved the way Jesus is moved. That's the evidence that you belong to Christ. Hey, you know what? Most of us grew up in a world where you, all you have to do is say a prayer and you become a Christian and that's it. I'm going to heaven. I don't have to even think about it anymore. Hey, if you grew up like that thinking all you have to do is walk forward in church some Sunday, ask Jesus into my heart and I never have to worry about it again, then you didn't get it at all. I would say you're not converted yet. I'd say what's happened is that you like the idea of it, but you're not converted. The evidence, the sign that you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ is that you are doing what Jesus has told you to do. We're in the business of leading people to Christ. And in order for that to happen, you actually have to have some passion in you. A passion for the lost, because that's what Jesus had. And if you don't have that, then I would suggest that before this day is over, you need to get on your hands and knees before God and pray and ask God to rebirth in you a passion, a compassion for those who don't know Christ. Well, here's the other thing you need to see. In order for you and I to, to really get the job done, we, we need to understand that people are confused and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Hey, you know what? Christians so often have been condemned as being judgmental and unkind. Maybe, maybe you've seen that. I don't know. But if you understand that the people that we're trying to, to reach for Christ are people who are confused, they're helpless, and that's why they make bad choices. That's why they're in trouble. That's why they're, they're up to their neck or, or drowning in addictions. This is why they're doing things and saying things they shouldn't say or do. Hey, this is why I got involved in youth ministry again. I started in youth ministry in 1983. I was a youth pastor for four years. The best, some of the best years of my life working with young people. And some of you know that we've been looking for a new youth pastor. And I've been praying about that. It's not that we don't have money to hire somebody. We do. But the problem is, is I can't find the kind of person that has the passion, the compassion, and the willingness to start training and discipling the next generation. The problem with so many people is that they've got a little taste of Christianity, and it's just enough to inoculate them against it. What we need is a discipleship that trains our young people what it means to truly follow Jesus. This is why I tell the kids right, out, right off, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. If you want a place to hang out, we've got a community center right next door. But if you want to be here, then you're going to enter into our program to teach you what it means to follow Jesus. We're not forcing you. We're not twisting anybody's arm. But if you want to follow Jesus, then we're going to show you how to do it. Because if you follow Jesus... It's a game changer. If you follow Jesus and start living the way that Jesus tells you to live, then you're going to actually have a good life. 
Now, hey, let's stop and think about things for a matter, for, for a moment, folks. We live in a world right now, would you agree with me, there's more confusion, more helplessness, more darkness than we have ever known. Some have grown up in that world, but for those of us who are a little older, we remember a time when it wasn't so dark and so terrible as it is now. How are we going to get these kids to navigate this crazy world we live in? I'm going to tell you, by introducing them to Jesus and teaching them how to follow Jesus. I'm going to brag on you a little bit, Kaylin. Don't, don't say anything. Just listen. I, asked, I challenged the kids to start reading their Bibles. I said, start, just start reading in Luke and then start reading in, in, in John and in and Caitlin, she got out her book and she started taking notes on everything she's reading. And I'm reading what she's written in her book. I'm thinking, Jesus is speaking to her. This is miraculous. This is what I want. I want to see our kids hearing the voice of God and transforming them. And showing them a better life, a better way to go through life. I want them to be spared the darkness and the horrors of sin. I want that for everybody. But if we can catch them before they before they're up to their well, if we can catch them before they're drowning in addictions, then they've got a hope. Otherwise, it's a it's a hellish life. And all of us know that. We're living in a world with people who are confused and helpless. We don't judge or condemn or hate. We reach out to them. We embrace them. We love them and teach them a better way. That's what we're called to do as Christians. But there's one more thing I want to share with you quickly. And Jesus says it's this. You got to pray. The harvest is great, Jesus says, but the workers are few. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm a full-time pastor. I don't know if you know that. I, I am on call 24-7, and I, I, I'm, I work a lot of hours a week, more than probably anybody here. And now I've taken on another job, the youth. Now, I haven't done this because it's what I want. It's because God said, I want you to do it, Alan. I want you to go back and do the things that you did when you first started in ministry. I keep telling the kids on Friday night, I'm not getting paid to be here. I'm here because Jesus tells me to be here. Because I want to see these kids grow up to serve God. I want these kids to grow up and have a great life. I want these kids to grow up. And this is why we're taking them to Banff. This is why I'm going to sleep in a tent and I haven't done it for 10 years. Hello. And that's why Barry and Carolyn are doing it, and Chris are doing it, and a few other of our leaders are doing it, because we feel God's saying, this is what you need to do. Can I ask, what are you willing to do? Because I've been praying, folks. I've been praying that God will send me more workers. I need more workers. I, your pastor's going to be burnt out if you don't step up and help out. See, here's the thing. I know that, I know that you'll step up and help out if you're truly a follower of Christ. But if you don't love Jesus and if you don't really care about the lost, then I really got to say you probably are not converted yet. You're probably not a Christian yet. But if you care about the lost, you have compassion 
on those who don't know Christ. And if you're saying, where can I serve? How can I help? How can I make a difference? How can I get kids to church? How can I, how can I get my neighbors to church? I'll do whatever it takes. Then I'm pretty convinced that something has happened in you so that you, like the Apostle Paul, are ready to stand up and tell everybody about Jesus. I can't hold myself back. I gotta tell people what Jesus has done for me. Jesus says, pray. Because he's the Lord of the harvest. Pray for souls. Pray that kids will come to Jesus. And pray that God will raise up new workers to help us get the job done. And I, listen, listen, listen. I need workers who will not just show up and do a job. I need people who will show up and say, watch me. I'm an example of somebody who loves Jesus. I'm an example of somebody who's, who's following Christ and has a good life because of it. I would say this to you today. If you've got children, it begins with your family. Can your kids look to you and say, now there's an example of a godly man. There is an example. My, my mom, my dad are godly people. They're the kind of people I want to be like. Or would they say, if this is Christianity, I want no part of it. It happens all the time. You need to start praying. Praying that the Lord of the harvest will prepare your heart to make you a blessing to a broken and hurting world. You need to pray that the Lord of the harvest will make you a godly man, a godly woman that will let the light shine into the hearts of your kids, your neighbors, your friends, your workmates. Because God wants to use you. God wants to use you and make you the miracle in someone's life. Will you be that miracle? Are you willing to say, God, here am I. Use me. Because I can tell you this, this is exactly what Jesus wants. And it's exactly what I'm praying for. Raise up workers, God. Raise up people that will help me get to take in the harvest. Would you stand with me, please? Father, as we, as we leave this place now, we pray in Jesus' name that you would make us a miracle for somebody. God, we recognize that nobody can come to Christ unless God enables them. Every person who's born again, every conversion, that is a miracle. Help us to see, God, that you use us to make that, make that miracle possible. So, Father, as we go from here, we want to be a bright, shining light. A light so powerful that, like that light that knocked Saul onto the ground. God, that that's how we would, how, how we would affect the people we're around. It would transform them. It would change them. So we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, for saving us, and we thank you now, Lord, you're sending us out to, to, to get busy bringing people into the kingdom of God with our story, with our testimony. So we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. God bless you. Hey, go get a hot dog and go get a car wash. <laughs>